the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. I'm Selwyn Whitehead. I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney. As such, I focus on California law. And uh, I'm also a bankruptcy certified specialist that's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And as you know, in addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law because I can't get enough of it. Uh, A master's degree in the laws of taxation law and a master's degree in the laws of intellectual property laws. Both of my master's degrees were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, which is located in beautiful downtown San Francisco. For any of you who have never been to San Francisco or the San Francisco Bay Area, I invite you. It's a great place to live, and it's an even better place to visit. As such, because of my training, my experience, and interests, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, debt wealth management, estates and trust law, real estate law, and taxation law, of course. And what I consider to be a benefit to me is I'm proud to say that as part of my practice, I am sometimes able to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the victims of the various forms of financial elder abuse. Hear, hear. And as I always have to say, I am so pleased to be able to come to you from the beautiful KFAX studios in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting families and small business owners. However, I must once again ask you to please know that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with any of you within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully to provide you with an outline of some of the issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help, qualified legal help, qualified professional uh, financial help as well. I do this because, as I'm known for saying, representing yourself in a legal matter, especially one that's dealing with your family's finances, is like taking a knife to a gunfight, a butter knife, as opposed to a sharp knife, a butter knife. Uh, and again, if you're lucky, you can get real close to your adversary. You might be able to scratch her on the arm or even poke her in the eye, but more than likely you're going to be dead on the arrival. That is to say, your claim, your valid claim or your valid defense 
will likely see the promised land way before you do. So, as you know, the purpose of Selwyn's Law is to discuss the law related to your money and finances, or lack thereof, and what you need to consider to protect your family's financial health, their wealth, and their well-being. And as I understand it, in this non-threatening educational forum. With that said, we'll continue our discussion of entrepreneurship, or what I consider to be the flip side of bankruptcy, and by actually looking at some of the key issues in small business bankruptcies. Uh, This information is taken from a book I've started to write on the subject. While my book is geared towards young lawyers or those who want to become lawyers who are interested in the subject matter because it's so important to um, families to understand both sides of the economic realm. Uh, I think uh, it also can provide some insight to small business owners and families in financial distress who who might face financial financial distress in the future. And most times, financial distress rears its ugly head because of a lack of liquidity. And what do I mean by liquidity? It's cash flow. Cash flow is the life's blood of a small business and a family. If you don't have enough money to put food on the table and keep a roof over your head because uh, maybe you got laid off or maybe your hours got cut back or if you're a small business person, you're, the trend in the marketplace is changing. Um, the first signs of being in financial distress that might lead to bankruptcy is the lack of liquidity. And so we're going to look at some of the key differences between a Chapter 13, a small business Chapter 13, and an individual-slash-small-business under Chapter 11 of the Bankruptcy Code. So again, I've made this presentation to, um, to lawyer groups before, but again, I, I think it might be helpful. Um, what I love in my practice is a well-informed consumer of my services, an educated person who um, needs to file for bankruptcy. Because if they're well-informed, it takes the fear out of it, and then we can become partners. Of course, I'm going to be the senior partner, uh, but my client has the facts about their financial situation, and I marry their facts with the law. And if we both work together, then we're able to come out of bankruptcy sooner rather than later, and maybe keep more assets than we have to uh, liquidate or uh, pay for in a uh, bankruptcy that's about reorganizing. So uh, I am not afraid. Like Some in my profession think that a, a well-educated uh, consumer of legal services is a bad thing. I think a well-educated consumer of legal services or financial services is a good thing because we can make informed decisions together. Because quite frankly, in all bankruptcy cases, it's your, it's your case. You know, I'm your advocate. I'm your Sherpa. I'm there to help you. But I want us to make decisions together after we, you know, look at the pros and cons. And if you don't understand the contours of the your problem, your facts of your problem, my, my um, goal 
and my role is to explain how the law impacts your facts, then again, if we're not both on the same way, we're, we're going to have a problem. And you know what? I don't like having those kinds of problems. So uh, again, we're going to talk about the differences between a chapter 13, which is a reorganization that's geared towards individuals, human beings. And that human being, as we've talked about in the past, might be a sole proprietor of a small business. And that might be what it is that's going to fund her chapter 13 plan. And it might be the cause of the problem, uh, a liquidity problem. That is to say, there's not enough receipts coming in to pay all of the accounts payable, or there might be enough receipts coming in to pay the business, but there's not enough money thrown off to the individual to take care of her family, his or her family. So that's why someone would be in a Chapter 13 small business. But there's debt limits in a Chapter 13. You can have no more than approximately, uh, well, it's $1,184,200 worth of secured debt. So secured debt would be the debt on your your, your home, uh and all of the debt to your creditors, uh, personal and uh, business. So, 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 what what would make this a business debt is that more of the debt would be for the business as opposed to um, your consumer debt. That's another way of looking at a Chapter Thirteen uh, small business debt. But basically, you are in a business, and that's the problem. So. If you have more secure debt than 1.1 and some change, um, you're over the debt limits for your secure debt. There's also a debt limit for unsecured debt. So your unsecured debt would be the debt, um, your borrowings that weren't um, securitized in some way. You didn't um, sign over collateral of some kind. So th- there's there's debt limits. And Notwithstanding the fact that you can file a Chapter 13, and maybe that's the best, most cost-effective way for you to try to get through your financial distress, if a party in interest um, brings it to the court's attention that you're over the debt limits, your other choice, you'll you'll have no choice other than to have the case dismissed or or converted to a Chapter 11. So um, in a Chapter 13, again, to be eligible for a 13, you must be an individual and, and and you have to have regular income, and that includes rents or a business income in addition to a salary. And that's where we're talking about um, the fact that you might be a small landlord or you might have a small business or venture of some kind. Um, it cannot be commenced by a, a creditor or creditors. Some kinds of bankruptcies, you can actually be compelled, you can be pushed into bankruptcy by your creditors but not a Chapter 13. Only you can initiate it. I've already told you what the debt limits are. Now, in a Chapter 11, you can be an individual or a corporation or a limited liability corporation, those kinds of pass-through entities and corporation that we talked about the last few weeks. There's no income requirement per se if you're going to be liquidating your business. Let's say you're going to shut down everything and uh, you're going to just basically, you're trying to sell it as a going concern as opposed to turning it over to a Chapter 7 trustee who'll just sell it off piece by piece. So that might be a reason why you want to do a Chapter 11. Um, And 
if you're an individual, you have to complete the pre-filing uh, credit counseling courses, just like a Chapter 13 debtor will have to. And um, again, it can be compelled by the appropriate number of creditors. That is the difference between 11 and a uh, Chapter 13. And so, um, again, if you do a Chapter 13, you can dismiss your case at any time absent someone calling and stating you acted in bad faith. So when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion of some of the key issues that you need to concern yourself with if you're a small business owner who's going out bankruptcy. Be right back. back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion on some of the key issues that you will need to consider when you're contemplating filing for bankruptcy. And generally, that contemplation will drop on you like a bunch of dead weight when you start having liquidity problems. That is to say, you do not generate enough income internally or externally to meet your uh, debts as they come due. That is basically a telltale sign of needing to file for bankruptcy if you're a small business person. So voluntary dismissal, that's an issue that I had started to talk about before the break. If you file a Chapter 13, remember you're a human being, so that means that you're a small business owner, maybe a small business owner and his or her family, you can dismiss the case at any time absent bad faith. So bad faith is where you do something, you try to snooker the system, and that bad faith is such that someone calls foul and asks for a hearing into it, and there's a hearing, and the court makes a determination that you filed the case, and now you want out of the case for bad faith reasons. Now, distinguish that from a Chapter 11. You can't, you have no automatic right to have your case dismissed. You have to obtain court approval after a proper notice, that is to say send out notice to all of the creditors and all the parties that are involved, and there is a hearing, and the court signs an order allowing you to dismiss your Chapter 11 case. Now, there's some administrative requirements that are distinguishable between a Chapter 13 and a Chapter 11. Generally, when you filed a Chapter 13, you're still you as the business entity. Because remember, individual, you're you. What distinguishes you from somebody who's not in business are, are a couple of extra forms that you file with your tax return, the banking relationships that you have. So in a Chapter 13, because you're still you, you can continue to use your existing bank accounts. Remember, there's going to be a Chapter 13 trustee that's going to perform the administrative processes of your bankruptcy. That is to say, you're going to pay this person, and this person's going to distribute your plan payments according to a plan that the court has confirmed. But you are still you, so we'll be able to continue your business. At Chapter 13, you continue to possess your assets. Now, if you have equity such that in a Chapter 7, that equity would be used to pay your creditors. In some instances, you have to pay the amount of that extra equity to your creditors, but you get to keep that asset. And once you file, if there's appreciation of that asset, that inures to the benefit of you and your family. Your tax status does not change. Again, you continue on as a sole proprietor, more than likely. 
you pay a standing trustee who acts as the dispersing agent for your plan payments. Currently, the filing fee for Chapter 13 is $310. Now, let's distinguish those facts from what we'd see in a Chapter 11 small business bankruptcy. With limited exceptions, the debtor becomes something known as a debtor in possession and has to close all of the prepetition bank accounts and has to open up a new set of bank accounts for being a debtor in possession of the assets of the bankruptcy estate and have to act as a fiduciary of the assets of the bankruptcy estate. And you have to open an account in a bank that is recognized by the Department of Justice, the Office of the United States Trustee, so they can have the long arm uh, process of, of smacking you upside the head. That's a highly legal term, technical term there, if you don't perform according to what you expected or how you expected to perform while you're being the debtor in possession. If you act up or act in a way that's inappropriate, you can find yourself no longer being the person that manages your state. Once you file a Chapter 11, you get to carry on operating the business, but you have to do certain formalities, open up a debtor in possession account, transfer all of the assets into the bankruptcy estate. You might have some of the assets in other vehicles like trusts or other vehicles. You have to put all of those assets in the bankruptcy estate, and they actually become part of the bankruptcy estate whether you make that actual transfer or not. You also have to get a new federal ID number identifying the bankruptcy estate as a separate and distinct entity for taxation purposes and for other identification purposes. In effect, you become a separate taxable entity when you file a Chapter 11, even if you are an individual. You can also make a election to do a short-term election, but you need to consult with a CPA to do that. What do I mean? If you file the bankruptcy any time before the end of your fiscal or accounting year, you can make the election to stop that year on June 1st and then start a new year under the bankruptcy estate for June 2nd and on. And there might be some tax advantages of making that short-term election, and that's why you need to talk to your CPA to see if that makes sense. You also must account for all of your income and expenses in something known as monthly operating reports that are actually filed with the court for all of your creditors to see where's the money coming from, where's the money going to, including your personal expenses. Now, currently, the filing fee for a Chapter 11 is $1,717, so it's fairly expensive. And In addition to going to a meeting at the creditors that all individuals, entities in bankruptcy must attend, the responsible individual or the debtor who's a human being, you have to go to this 341, which is the meeting of the creditors. In addition to that, prior to the 341 hearing, usually within a month of filing, you have to have a visit with the Office of the United States Trustee in something called an initial interview where they want to get certain documentations and attestations from you under oath that to try to figure out if this bankruptcy makes sense uh, or if you're trying to play fast and loose with your creditors and the government. So those are some of the initial considerations. You also need to know that the trustee in a Chapter 13 has to be paid. They don't do it for free and they don't get paid by the government. So a Chapter 13 trustee is paid directly 
out of your plan payments, he or she gets some percentage of the amount that you pay into the plan. So your plan payment requires that you pay $1,000 a month to catch up on the rearages of your mortgage or other debt that you want to take care of in your bankruptcy. You actually will have to pay $1,100. You could pay up to $1,100. Let me restate that because right now the maximum amount that trustees can get is around 10%. It generally will be lower, but you need to know that's how the trustee in a 13 gets paid for administering your bankruptcy distribution aspects. If the plan is not confirmed, the trustee doesn't get paid. So most trustees are interested in making sure that your plan gets confirmed. But so they, they actually play a dual role. They're kind of like the, the traffic cop that, you know, wants to keep the traffic going. But if, you know, somebody's driving recklessly or doing something untoward, the trustee has a, a duty of also calling that out to the court. So I tell my clients, the trustee is not your friend. I'm the closest thing that you're going to get to a friend in bankruptcy unless you have a dog. And the trustee's there to act as the traffic cop, so you have to recognize that. However, if the plan doesn't get confirmed, the trustee doesn't get paid, and the creditors don't receive any distributions, and the money goes back to the debtor. So let's compare that with a Chapter 11. The debtor or debtor in possession has to pay the trustee quarterly, and it's based on the income and expenses that are reported in that monthly operating report that you have to do in an 11 that you don't do in a Chapter 13. And these fees must be paid whether or not the plan gets confirmed. If once the plan is, gets confirmed, it goes from being monthly operating reports to quarterly operating reports. So how would someone like me, your attorney, get paid? Usually in a Chapter 13, there's no requirement for prior court approval, and the debtor can choose counsel and other professionals. However, sometimes if I have a, a complicated case with a lot of issues going on, real estate being sold, real estate being refinanced, I sometimes just put that, I apply for my debtors, paraprofessionals, and other professionals to be appointed to the case. And sometimes if I'm going to get money that's in excess of what I initially thought I would require. I also put everybody on notice about that. The work to be formed by a Chapter 13 lawyer is to benefit the debtor and the estate, but maybe not so much the estate, maybe just to benefit the debtor. And that's different from a Chapter 11 attorney when I'm acting as Chapter 11 attorney. I'm a fiduciary of the debtor's estate. So I work with the debtor to reach his or her goals, but I'm a fiduciary of the creditors of the estate. When I'm doing Chapter 11, I'm working for the Chapter 13 debtor. So this is an, an area that you really need to focus on, and you really need to have this discussion with your attorney as to who is the attorney working for. The goal of the attorney should be mirrored and matched to that of the debtor. However, there sometimes is a conflict. Sometimes clients want lawyers to do things that would breach their duty to the court or their ethical duty, to, for example, the bar here in California. And so I just can't do that. And so in, in those instances, an attorney has to withdraw from that particular representation in order to let the debtor go find somebody else and let me go off into the sunset. So I'm going to leave it there for now. 
And when we come back next time, we're going to continue our discussion looking at some of the key issues confronting individuals if they find themselves in, in need of reorganizing or liquidating because their business is starting to run out of money. That's basically what this is about. And I'm going to tell you why it is. Even though you're running out of money, one of the best investments you can make is hiring a competent professional to help you walk through all these issues. So with that, and it's always in closing, I like to say we all need to stay on the right side of the next time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.